Hello and welcome to the Double Double. My name is David Dixon and it is Thursday, September 3rd here in New York City. Hope everyone is staying safe and healthy uh, as we continue the battle against the coronavirus. Coming up today on the podcast is an interview I recorded earlier this week with the head men's basketball coach at Susquehanna University out in Pennsylvania, Frank Marcinek. Uh, it was a really cool interview, really great interview. My AU coach worked for him back in the day uh, in the early 2000s when Dave Brown's on the podcast. He told some stories about being at Susquehanna, and so it was fun to have his boss, his his old boss, Coach Marcinek, on the podcast. Really great conversation. Happy you all will get a chance to hear that. Uh, since since the last podcast with Coach Yuckum on Monday, a legend in the basketball community uh, passed away, Coach John Thompson, who was the legendary coach at Georgetown in the 80s and 90s at the with the rise of the Big East. He coached Patrick Ewing, Alonzo Mourning, Allen Iverson, and uh, he's just a legendary figure, not just for what he did on the basketball court, but also for what he did off the court as well for all the guys in his program and just for college basketball as a whole. I recommend reading some of the articles written about him by, you know, just various sources, including like uh, David Aldridge and just tons and tons of people who actually covered him during that time because they uh, can speak a lot better about the impact Coach Thompson had than I can, given that uh, I'm too young to really uh, know that much about what Coach Thompson was like back in his heyday when he was the coach at Georgetown. But for recommendation corner this week, in honor of Coach Thompson, I would recommend everyone going on the ESPN Plus app and watching the Requiem for the Big East 30 for 30. It's directed by Ezra Edelman, who's one of the best documentary directors out there. He not only did this film, but he also did the OJ Made in America mega documentary, which won the Oscar a couple of years ago. This This documentary is awesome it's it, the record for the biggies is one of my favorite 30 for 30s and features a lot of uh coach coach thompson and just it's a great great doc uh doc for any college basketball really just uh basketball fans out there who want to get a little nostalgic uh this weekend so i uh, highly recommend that one so i'm gonna hit the music and when we come back is my interview from earlier this week with frank marcinek Joining me today on the Double Double is a special guest, the head men's basketball coach at Susquehanna University, Frank Marcinek. After graduating from Penn State, he was an assistant for the men's teams at Harnum for five years and then at Ithaca for two years before being named the head coach at Susquehanna in the summer of 1989. In his 31 years at the helm, he has helped lead the Riverhawks to two conference titles, including the 2020 Landmark Conference title and appearances in five NCAA tournaments. He's a four-time winner of the Landmark Conference Coaching Staff of the Year Award and boasts a career record of 454 and 338. I'm thrilled he is taking the time to join me today. Coach, how's it going? I'm doing well, David. How are you? I'm doing well, you know, hanging in there, hanging in there, uh, doing the best we can. That's for sure. So just to start off, Coach, let's start in the present. Everyone kind of knows the fall 2020 semester for colleges all around the country is going to be unlike one really ever seen before, given the coronavirus pandemic. Each school has their own reopening plans, uh, plans for the fall, whether that includes sports or doesn't include sports, whether it's remote or fully on campus. Just what is the quick summary of Susquehanna's 
uh, plan for this upcoming fall semester? Well, we uh, welcomed our freshmen a week ago on Thursday. Classes started uh, last Monday. So we have completed one full week of class. Um, I'm happy to report after one full week, we've had zero positive tests on campus, which is a good thing. That's just with about 25% of our population uh, being our freshmen. So we thought we'd start small, uh, work out any kinks there might be in the system, and then welcome you know classes uh, every two weeks. So uh, next weekend, our seniors will report. And uh, then two weeks after that, our sophomores and juniors. And so by mid-September, uh, we should be at 100% of all the students back on campus uh, if everything goes according to plan. Um, I think everybody has looked at this and said, you know, how can this possibly work? You know, I've heard uh, comparisons at opening colleges uh, was similar to going on a cruise ship back in March and, you know, all the problems and all the uh, hurdles that you had to get over. Uh, and I can't tell you how impressed I have been by the work done by our administration at Susquehanna uh, to make it safe, uh, yet practical, um, so our students have the best experience possible and uh, so we can do things with our student-athletes as well. Uh, so our student-athletes, you know, I only have three freshmen in this class. Um, are back. Uh, last week was very low-keyed. Uh, they uh, did, did some things on their own. Uh, we do a full-time strength conditioning coach, and we will have our first uh, introduction to, to strength conditioning uh, this afternoon for our freshmen, and we plan to do that three times this week uh, because we do want it to be a meaningful experience and uh, uh, want them to be engaged in their sports. So mm -hmm. uh, we'll begin with the strength conditioning portion. Uh, the division NCAA model this year has us being able to uh, work with our players beginning October 1st, which is very different from what we've done in the past. Yeah. Uh, so, so we'll be doing some small group work, some individual work, hopefully October 1st. And hopefully by that time we have an idea of what is happening with our season. Um, I'm an NABC congressman and on a conference call, which I believe was about two weeks ago now, you know, our major push was to ask the NCAA if they could please push the spring cha or winter championships back one month. So if our you know, date of our championship was going to be March 20th, if they could move it April 20th to give us uh, you know, a reasonable length of time to play a reasonable amount of games. Uh, but I don't think we'll have an answer on that until probably late September. So um, that's a little bit about the start at Susquehanna. And a little bit about the, you know, the little I know right now. It's when I was on the phone with the mm -hmm. uh, father of one of my seniors today. And, you know, it's, it's kind of hard to give direction because you just right. don't know. Right. And sure. uh, you know, so I, you know, I, I'm open to, and willing to support whatever our players and their families think is best for them. Uh, but uh, you know, there's still still a lot of unknowns. One hundred percent. So as you mentioned, Susquehanna, we bring to bring each grade back in phases, and I guess as more and more of your players arrive on campus, you're going to be doing, you know, as you mentioned, individual work, small group work. I'm just, I'm curious, just, just for you, coach, in a traditional year, coaches and, and players alike spend spring, summer, and fall, you're getting ready for the start of the season and you have the target date in your mind, which is everything you're doing in the spring and summer and fall is to get ready for that first day of practice, usually for you guys on October 15th. How did you kind of mentally approach the summer and are approaching this fall given that we don't really know exactly when or if we'll ever get that, that go date 
uh, for for the fastball season? Well, mentally, I'm preparing um, as if we will start you know, January one with an opportunity to practice. Um, but we will have some time with our teams um, on campus. You know, if we're back uh, full bore, we'll have some practice opportunities with our guys. The university has kind of said we'll have five weeks where we can practice with our guys in the fall. Um, so I believe our start date uh, with teamwork is going to be October the 24th. So from October 24th to like November 20th, I believe the date is, we will have practices that will resemble normal practices. Um, as I'm talking to my players right now, and I'm trying to tell them, first of all, I don't know how um, active they have been over the last five months because, again, getting the gyms to lift and play and all those things has been a challenge. Uh, as a matter of fact, one of our juniors is back on campus because he's an RA, and uh, so he and one of our seniors who's back on campus because he's a science major uh, lifted last week. And I saw him. I said, how'd it go? He said, Coach, I am so sore. But to be honest with you, it's the first, first I've been in the weight room since March. And I'm like, I get it. So right. in my mind, you know, I'm trying to say, okay, um, you know, it's not really September or, or the end of it, August. It's, you know, let's say, you know, four months before our season would begin. So if I'm saying January 1 is our first date, you know, so I'm, get, I'm taking it four months out. So, right. you know, if it were the summer, you know, I'd, I'd back up four months from October 15th and, and kind of set the bar. Here's where we're at. We have four months to get ready. So um, it's going to be a slow, uh, gradual process uh, to get our guys up and running. You know, I'm a big Major League Baseball fan. I love mm-hmm. the Yankees. And as I watch the Yankees with, you know, obviously it's spring training and then, you know, summer training before they started, they just had so many injuries. These are professional athletes. And, I'm, you know, so I want to make sure that um, we prepare, but we prepare at the proper pace. And, uh, you know, like I so said, instead of being in the weight room for maybe an hour, maybe we're in the weight room for 30 minutes. Mm-hmm. And then in two weeks, maybe we get to 40 minutes. So, um, mentally, I'm just trying to say, let's not be in a hurry. Um, right. You know, let's, let's pace ourselves through this. Uh, let's gradually build back up and, you know, let's shoot for, you know, January 1 as if it's October 15. So that's a bit about my mindset. And, you know, again, I think one of the keys to being able to survive and get through this is being adaptable and understand that, uh, you know, the best laid plans oftentimes will go awry and then you need to reevaluate. So um, I have some plans in mind of how we're going to do things, but I think, uh, I still need to look at it probably at the end of every week and say, where are we and where do we need to go? You know, mm-hmm. I don't think you can plan too far in advance at this time uh, because you just don't know. And uh, um, so that, that's a little bit of what's going through my mind. And, you know, it's interesting because you, you mentioned it, that everyone is kind of going through their own individual process this fall and each player and each student and family is kind of making uh, a choice and the right decision for them if we for what to do this this school year. And we've seen at the top level of, Division One football, and really just around the country, of guys are so, some students are saying, "Hey, this isn't the experience I signed up for. It's not the experience I'm paying for. I'm going to take a gap year and and take the year off," and are choosing to opt out of uh, their respective seasons and, and just the school year in general. How are you approaching those conversations if you're having those at all with the members of your program as as the guys are deciding uh, what they should do for this school year? Yeah, um, my basic message is I want the student and the family to do what is best for them. Um, you know, it's their 
particularly for our seniors. You know, it's their last go round, mm-hmm. and if for some reason you know, we have a ten game season, is that going to be fulfilling uh, to the seniors? And you know, you're there, you know what it's like. It's you know, it's, it's a culmination of a of a career, and you want it to be the best that possibly can be. Um, so if if you know, a parent or you know, a young man says, "Coach, I'm thinking of taking the gap year, uh, continuing to work." Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm all on board. Um, as of today, we have not had that happen. But I think, you know, what will be the determiner for me is, um, you know, let's say we do have to shut down or do have to go virtual, which, you know, we're all hopeful that we don't. We have to send our students home. You know, what is that for the prospect of having a season even in January? Mm-hmm. And if that's the case, you know, I would certainly be much more, uh, you know, more leaning in the direction of saying, yeah, why don't you take a gap year, gap semester, uh, come back? You know, it, as you know, at our level, it's all about the financial aid. It's, it's mm-hmm. not as much about the eligibility, but, you know, our tuition, room and board costs are you know, in excess of $64,000. You know, for a family to say, hey, I'm going to write a check for $64,000, you know, so my son or daughter can participate in uh, intercollegiate sports is really, really, you know, asking a lot. I just you know, don't see that being all that reasonable for you know 99% of the families. Um, so we need to figure out how do we continue to allow them the opportunity to play, have a meaningful experience, have a play as much of a full season as they can, and still uh, qualify for financial aid. Right. Um, we don't have any, we have we have one graduate program at Susquehanna, which is uh, a master's of education. If, if students were you know interested in coming back and getting a master's in education, you know they could do that and play. But we're not you know, like a lot of schools that have graduate programs where just, you know they can come back and uh, take their fifth year of eligibility or you know, use that last uh, that year of eligibility and uh, work on a master's degree. So right. yeah, you know, there's uh, there's some, some tweaking and some you know, fine tuning that needs to happen. And uh, but you know each situation is unique. For sure. So let's go back to the, to the beginning now, Coach. Where did you grow up, and kind of how did you first fall in love with basketball? I am from a small, small coal mining town in the middle of Pennsylvania called Shimokin, Pennsylvania, um, and started in sports at a very young age, um, mostly in the neighborhood. We had, you know, Shimokin was a, a coal mining town, but coal mine, coal mining in the late 50s and early 60s, was like OPEC. I mean, it was a bustling, thriving community with you know, lots and lots of people and lots and lots of activities. And, uh, you know, just in the block I lived in, now there were probably 15, 20 kids all in the same age group. Wow. And, you know, it, it, was, it was thriving. And, you know, we would play, you know, from sunup till sundown, whatever this the sport was, you know, whether it was baseball or basketball or football or, you know, just playing tag or running around the block. And um, so I played everything um, and I couldn't wait till I was old enough to, you know, really participate. And it, it's kind of ironic, you know, I'm a basketball coach. The first sport I was able to participate in was wrestling because mm-hmm. they, had a, they had a wrestling program where you could be in first grade and wrestle. I thought, heck, I'll give it a shot. I had a cousin that was a wrestler. So I wrestled for two years in first and second grade which was my first taste of sport. Um, my first year, I lost. We only had two matches. I went 0-2. I didn't travel 2-0. But then moved on, and I was able to play uh, CYO basketball uh, in third grade. And, uh, you know, probably one year younger than everybody else, but still just 
loved being able to go to practice and put a uniform on and you know, warm up. And I didn't get to play hardly at all. But uh, and then each year after that, I you know got a little better. And um, but I loved all sports, and I've coached so many different sports. I think my background uh, growing up playing them all um, impacted my knowledge and my ability to coach a variety of sports. So, uh, but but I played. Um, played them all, baseball, football, basketball, growing up. And uh, when I got to high school, I played football and I played basketball and uh, played for Shemokin High School, which, mm-hmm. was, you know, at that time it was the biggest class in the state of Pennsylvania and uh, played on championship football teams. You know, back then, if you could win what they called the Eastern Conference, it was kind of the equivalent of almost a state championship, or at least a state champ on the eastern part of the state. And my mm-hmm. junior year, we won the Eastern Conference Championship. I played defensive back, um, you know, also, you know, played basketball. And uh, my senior year in high school, I played on a great team, you know, went 24-2 and two and ended up losing in the state semifinals uh, to Spielton High Spire, who was really good, played a, you know, a game at the Harrisburg Farm Show in front of probably 8,000 people. Oh, wow. And, you know, it, it was neat. It was neat. And, uh, but I always, you know, kind of considered myself a coach, whether it was on the mm. floor or on the field. I was kind of like the captain of our defense in football and the captain of the team in basketball, and I played point guard. And, uh, you know, my coaches, uh, my high school football coach was a guy named Tim Montgomery, who had played football for Joe Paterno at Penn State. And uh, he was, you know, a great coach, very tough. Um, and my basketball coach was a guy named Bob Probert, who played basketball at Susquehanna. And it was a Marine, and, and these were just two tough dudes that I, mm-hmm. you know, that I had a, had a chance to play for through high school, and certainly had a big impact on me. And uh, um, wasn't quite sure what I wanted to do, um, you know, in college. I wasn't good enough to play in college. Mm-hmm. Uh, I went to Penn State and just wasn't good enough. I had a couple D three looks, but uh, it didn't. You know, I, I went to, went to Penn State and. Uh, um, but you know, it was not a college athlete. So to be a college coach, it's, you know, I'm very fortunate uh, that, that things worked out for me. But I always thought that I wanted to make a career in athletics somehow, some way. And I got a degree in education, and um, yeah, here I am today. So while you're in college, coach, as you mentioned, you're at Penn State. Uh, I feel like you, you probably have experienced this with, with some of the guys on your team. I experienced this. Uh, the last few years was that once you know the end of sophomore year hits and junior senior kind of everyone's focus turns on to what are you doing after what are you going to do with your degree what are you do for a job and that's everyone's favorite question to ask right like what are you doing Mm -hmm. after you graduate and it leads to sometimes a lot of freaking out when you're in college of oh my god what am i doing Is, is this the right path for me did you ever have one of those moments in college where you kind of freaked out about what your career path was, or or, or did you always kind of have a, a focus on uh, I'm going to go into coaching? Well, again, I was an education major, mm-hmm. and you know I think some people get an education to teach. Um, I probably got an education more to be a coach, mm-hmm. and uh, so I knew what I wanted to do, just didn't know how it was all going to transpired so i really pursued jobs all over the place and uh and i got hired uh to teach high school english um out of penn state um at a catholic high school called lords regional high school which is in Shemokin. and it was our rival when i was growing up and you know while i didn't go to school there i think the people there knew me and respected me and um when they had a teaching opening 
and they kind of recruited me to come and teach there. And, and I never coached basketball, which was kind of ironic, but my first uh, coaching position was as a football coach. Mm-hmm. And I coached, I coached football, and uh, it would go to every basketball practice just, you know, because I was trying to stay fit, loved basketball. And the guy that was the coach was a very good basketball coach, very different style from what I had experienced playing for Bob Probert. But uh, John McKay was the uh, X and O guy, really prepared his teams well. So not on his staff, but I was around it all the time uh, once football was done. Um, and and um, then I ended up coaching baseball awards also as an assistant coach. And that was 1981, 1982. Uh, the fall of 1982, I get a call from a guy that I had worked for saying, listen, Susquehanna's looking for an assistant coach. Um, might you be interested? I'm like, oh my God, would I be interested? So in 1982, I started coaching at Susquehanna as an assistant coach. And mm-hmm. you know, staffs, back, staffs back then were quite different. Don Farnham um, was the athletic director and head basketball coach, and I was his only assistant coach. And we had a varsity program and a JV program. And so here I am, you know, basically one year older than the guys I'm coaching, um, but I'm running the JV program and the varsity, being the varsity assistant. And it was just a wonderful way uh, to get your feet wet. You know? right. So, as I said, I was uh, head JV coach and the assistant uh, varsity coach at Susquehanna for Don Arnhem. Um, and we had some really good teams. Um, and uh, I, I did that for four years and you know, became the head high school baseball coach. So, as I said, I was coaching everything. And it's very different from the way people get into coaching today. I, you know, it's kind of like, I, you know, our athletes are more specialized in the sports they play. Mm-hmm. And I think when people get into coaching, you know, if they want to be a basketball coach, they do all basketball. But, you know, I had a chance to coach football, coach basketball, coach baseball, and really learn under, you know, different styles and different uh, personalities in everything I did. And it was really a great, great uh, start for me because, you know, like literally I coached 12 months out of the year right. and uh, you know, different, different uh, sports, but still just you know, coaching. And um, so I stayed at Susquehanna uh, through 1986. Um, and that was our best team at Susquehanna. We got to the elite eight and ended up losing a, uh, to Potsdam state who went undefeated that year and won a national title. Um, but uh, I kind of knew that I wanted to you know, make a go of this, at the college level full time. And so I applied uh, to Ithaca college and I went to Ithaca as a uh, grad assistant. But uh, surprisingly enough, even though I had coached for, uh, you know, five years, four years at the collegiate level, I got a graduate assistantship, but the graduate assistantship wasn't in coaching. Oh, wow. I got, a, I got a graduate assistantship in working with our student teachers. So I took the graduate assistantship working with the student teachers but my first day at Ithaca, I went and talked to Tom Baker, who was the head basketball coach, and introduced myself and talked about our team and talked about what I had done at Susquehanna. He said, I'd love to have you on my staff. So I joined the staff at Ithaca um, in 1986-87, basically as a volunteer while mm-hmm. I was getting my master's degree and uh, and working, uh, you know, as I said, supervision of student teachers. Right. Uh, and... Uh, so I did that for one year, got my master's degree, and a full-time position opened at Ithaca, and I got to stay on there as the uh, uh, full-time assistant 
for 1987, 1988. And, uh, uh, you know, so I was really kind of broadening my horizons. And not only did I coach basketball when I was at Ethico full time, but I also coached track and field. So I got got another coaching experience um, in something I had participated in in high school, but never coached before. So um, my coaching um, foundation was was growing and you know getting a little bit broader a little bit wider and uh stayed there for two years we had two good teams at Ithaca uh, got to the NCAA tournament um believe the 86-87 team um and ended up losing to Potsdam State who we had just lost two years before at Susquehanna and uh then uh, I was actually recruiting and I um, I came to see Susquehanna play. Our, our season was done. Susquehanna was playing at the University of Scranton. Yeah, I went to watch the game and uh, talked to the, you know, Don Harnum, who was my previous boss, and told him I was going to recruit the next day. And you know, uh, Susquehanna had lost to Scranton that night, so he joined me on the recruiting trip and uh, talked about the future. And you know, he thought that he might uh, have one more year in him because he was working on his doctorate and he was the mm-hmm. athletic director, head basketball coach and said, you know, why don't you come back and you know help me for a year and then we'll see what happens. So I did came back to Susquehanna. I uh, actually went back to teaching high school English again and, uh, uh, worked at Susquehanna as part-time assistant. And, uh, at the end of the year, Don Hornham stepped down and I was hired as a head coach. Wow. Uh, however, it was a part-time position. Oh, wow. So, yep. So I was teaching high school English you know, five or six classes a day and being a head college basketball coach. And it was, uh, it was quite a grind. And uh, so I had about a 35, 40 minute drive to practice. And, you know, the people at Lords high school, where I taught were just fabulous to deal with. They, you know, were really glad to have me back. It seemed like, and, um, were very accommodating and allowing me to coach at Susquehanna. So I, uh, you know, did that. And after the second year, Susquehanna's position became full-time mm. and I had to apply for it, go through the whole interviewing process, which I did. And, uh, then became, you know, the full-time head coach, uh, probably, uh, what would that be? 88, 89, mm-hmm. 89, 90, 99 for the 91, 92 season. And I've been there ever since uh, wow. working, you know, as the head men's basketball coach. So with all that, as, as you mentioned, your coaching foundation and your coaching base, as a as an athlete, you talk about like the cross training where things that you do on a football or soccer field helps you in basketball. It helps you in baseball and, and vice versa. As a coach, what did coaching all those different sports uh, in high school kind of help you with when you were started becoming a head basketball coach at Susquehanna? Like were there lessons or different things that you learned while coaching football or coaching baseball or coaching track that directly helped you while you were coaching basketball? I would say I learned good and bad in every situation I was in. Um, you know, you're working as a, an assistant football coach, you know, and, you know, I think we go to college to learn how to learn. And when I started coaching football, for instance, I coached linebackers. Well, I had never played a linebacker in my life. So I had to study linebacker play. Um, and, I, and I had to figure out how to teach them to be good linebackers. So it really made me more analytical in the, breakdown of the skills and the breakdown of how I was going to teach things. And I also, when I got my master's degree, I got my master's degree in the analysis of teaching and coaching behavior and sports psychology. So, um, that was, that was kind of neat that, you know, like I taught coach for five years. Then I went back to graduate school and studied how to do, do things better than Mm -hmm. I was doing them. And that was really a, uh, kind of a great, 
opportunity to practice a craft for five years, then study that craft while you're also trying to master the craft. So, uh, but I've learned a lot from each coach I worked with, some good, some not so good, but every coach has had their strengths and their weaknesses. And I tried to, you know, take what was good and learn from what was not so good and, you know, try to not repeat that myself. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, but even then you, you learn from your, your mistakes is probably more so than you do your successes. Right. Um, but uh, so I was a head college coach at 29 and thought I knew everything. And, <laughs> And it's funny, as I look back now, I think those poor kids, like <laughs> those poor kids, like I didn't know, I didn't know what I was doing, uh, but they didn't know that. And, you know, I was filled with exuberance and enthusiasm and, you know, a passion and, uh, you know, just competitiveness. And, and I think that that rubbed off, but I look back and I'm so, oh my gosh, you know, I was so stupid and so dumb and uh, didn't know really, you know, yeah, like today I, I as a coach, I feel like, you know, I'm not, we're not doing something unless we almost have it mastered. Back right. then, I, I did everything. You know, we, like Rick Pitino's style of pressing was really big that back then. So, and I loved it. So we worked on the matchup press, which takes a great deal of time. Yeah. Probably about 40, 45 minutes to an hour of practice a day. And, but we also played one, three, one zone, man to man, uh, three, two zone. And offensively, we probably did. You know, we ran secondary break. You know, we had a couple, you know, couple quick hitters, but we played motion. And I couldn't do that today because the level of ex- execution I expect today is so different from what I expected then. Right. And but, but you know, I kind of flew by the seat of my pants. And, and we had a really good team. We won the. Um, we were in the Middle Atlantic Conference. We were in the Northwest Division. We won that division. Uh, you know, got got to the playoffs. We did lose in the playoffs, but. Uh, had a wonderful, wonderful start to my to my college career, and uh, um, but you know, I didn't know what I didn't know, and I think mm-hmm. that's kind of an interesting way to put it. As you're starting into a profession, right, one hundred percent. And so, you guys had a great first season, but then you guys also end up making the NCAA tournament for your first time in just your third season at Susquehanna. How did mm-hmm. that season go when you're? approaching in the summer as you say hey that we can get over the hump we can make the tournament just and just what was that whole season like when when, when as you said you didn't know what you didn't know but somehow it, it's all working in in a way well um probably started with some recruiting as mm-hmm. it always does you know it's not you know not the x's and o's but the jimmy's and joe's and we had some pretty good players on that team um you know i had a kid named craig harper who ended up being the mvp in the league that year uh, I had a point guard who was a sophomore named Trace Wolf, who's arguably as good a point guard as I've ever coached. So he was a sophomore. And I had a couple freshmen come in and, and help us right away. And uh, it was kind of ironic. Uh, Scranton was the number one team in the country that year. Mm-hmm. And uh, we were the number four seed going into the tournament. And, you know, we had really started to play our best basketball coming down the stretch. Played Scranton in the last regular season game and lost to them by 10. Um, but I think losing to them by 10 at their place was almost a confidence builder for us. Like, you know, we can play with these guys. Mm. And uh, so we played them on a Saturday and then had to go back there. I want to say the next Wednesday and play them again. And they were coached by a legendary coach named Bob Bessoir. And, uh, you know, they were winning national titles and, uh, you know, they, they had probably made the, uh, NCAA tournament, I don't know, maybe like 14 straight times. They were really good. And, uh, 
we went into Scranton and beat them at Scranton. And uh, the other game was a game between Kings and Albright, and Kings was the number two seed, and Albright was the three seed, and Albright upset them. So it ended up being the three and the four seed in the conference championship game, and Susquehanna went to Albright and beat Albright that year, and uh, uh, you know got to the NCAA tournament in uh, in my third year, and that was you know it was it was pretty awesome. Yeah, one hundred percent, and just so you have a lot of success early on throughout that decade. Susquehanna was very successful, but then coming up in, in the very early 2000s, you kind of ran into a rough patch, especially in the 2004-2005 season where you guys mm-hmm. had a really tough season, 3-21. and 21. And, you know, it from from the outside, coaches always get blamed or thought of and just really just judged by the wins and losses on the court where you guys could have been doing every single thing right. But if you have a record like that, the, the, the judgment starts coming from, from the outside. What was that like, just you being the coach who has had success going through a really difficult stretch like that during that season where, you know, just the wins just weren't coming? It was one of those years where everything that could go wrong did go wrong. Mm-hmm. Um, we returned a reasonably good group from the previous year. And we, you know, we needed a point guard. And I recruited a point guard um, who was out at the Western Reserve Academy, a kid I had seen in high school. He's a Pennsylvania guy, and he, he was just a dynamite player. And uh, like 6'2", 185-pound player, he could really do it all. He was very mature. So he, I, I recruited him, committed to Susquehanna, and I'm quite confident he's going to be our guy. Um, late in May of that year, he decides um, – Financially, it's not going to work for him, so he decides to not come to Susquehanna. So we really did not have a point guard. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I had I, I had a six foot nine, probably about two hundred and sixty pound center that was really good. As a matter of fact, broke our school record for block shots in a career. He broke it in one season, um, and he was going to be a force. He was going to enter his junior year, and as I said, he was just huge. And you know, with with a great point guard and him, we had we had enough pieces that it's probably a team that could have won 16 or 17 games, no problem. But he turns out to have the knees of a 55 year old man. <laughs> and so he doesn't play. So, so I lose my starting center and my starting point guard who are really two good players. And so as a result, we didn't have the talent. So we played a lot of freshmen and uh, made a lot of freshman mistakes. We had an unbelievably tough time scoring that year. We just couldn't score. Um, but we were in every game, you know, losing 53, 51, 57, 56. But we did not win a conference game, and we won three games on the year. And uh, so that was, you know, by far our low point. Um, yeah, but, uh, again, when you coach long enough, you know, you're not going to win them all. Mm-hmm. And uh, But, you know, you, you never expect to have a season like that. So that was um, – that put things in perspective for me because I think you get to a point where you just expect to win and you take it for granted a little bit. But that year where we just could not get out of our own way, um, it made me really stop and appreciate every win we had from there on out. And I still, you know, you may not play well um, and you, you know, you, you can't be happy with it, but, but you're still you know, happy that you won and, and you know, now let's see if we can figure out the, how to get better from a win as opposed to, you know, how to get better from a loss. So right. uh, that, that, that year was, uh, it was a test for me, but, uh, you know, we got through it and persevered and, um, you know, and it was right around that time. And again, to be a, to have a 
successful a college program? There's so much that goes into it. You know, what's your relationship like with everybody on campus? You know, um, how is admissions working? Are they, um, you know, do they have more students than they know what to do with? Or you know, do they really need some students? You know, how is your financial aid? What your staffing? And we just, you know, things weren't lined up for us to be very successful at that time. And it's kind of ironic, you know, you talked about that year, but shortly thereafter, um, we hired a new athletic director, Pam Samuelson, and she wanted us to be successful. And, you know, so she said, and what's, what's your primary need? I said, I need an assistant coach. I need somebody that can help me recruit. You know, you can't do it all yourself. Mm-hmm. So, so she said, well, let me see if I can fundraise, you know, I think the number, which she got 5,000, I raised 5,000 and, uh, I went in pursuit of an assistant coach. And, uh, you know, I, I found out about this position probably just about this time in maybe like 2003. Wow. And, uh, so I go to, go to five-star basketball camp looking for you know, players, but also, you know, talking to some people I knew there and asking if there were any good young coaches that, uh, were working at Five Star at that time that might want to be um, a grad assistant at Susquehanna. And uh, Kevin Pickett, who was the coach at Fordham Prep, uh, pointed me in the direction of a guy named Dave Brown. And uh, so I you know, watched Dave coach his team, and uh, you know, Dave certainly had a lot of passion and and uh, you know, really loved the game and was, was a, you know, able to coach post players. So mm-hmm. I talked, talked to Dave after that, uh, after his game and told him what I had. He came to campus, maybe you know, might've been at the end of that five-star camp. Instead of going back to New York city from Honesdale, he came to Sealands Grove and I ended up hiring Dave Brown and uh, Dave Brown was a phenomenal recruiter Yeah, and uh, really, really worked his tail off and got us some great players. Um, and that kind of got us going you know, got, got us going again. And, uh, um, so that was kind of like how that poor season, uh, ended up being a, uh, stepping stone to bigger and better things. Well, Dave's, Dave's my guy. I played AU for him for five years. Big fan of Dave. He was on the podcast in early July. He's just a, he's just an A plus person all around. And as I said, he, the way that he connects with people is so important for recruiting, that this kind of brings me to, to my next question is that now that you have the opportunity to, to build out a staff, you mentioned some of the things you were looking for initially with, say, I need someone to help me with recruiting. How, how Kind of how has that evolved throughout the years of now you have this full-time graduate job? What are some of the things that, that you look for when you're looking for a young uh, coach to join your staff? I want somebody that's smart. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think that if if someone is intelligent, you know, and, and um, I've hired guys that are just really bright guys like you know guys a biology major with a 3.9 gpa was going to go to med school but elects to coach you know like so i was i look for people that are smart i want somebody that's loyal i want someone that is going to represent susquehanna and myself in a, in a positive manner and you know i say when i'm talking to uh, these candidates i want somebody's going to be a big brother to the to the players in our program because um, i think they need somebody they can go to at times other than the head coach. And, uh, so I want, you know, they were some of the things, obviously knowledge of the game. Um, you know, I was a point guard, so I, you know, if I can find somebody that can coach the post players, that helps. Um, and, uh, you know, so that there's, there's some of the characteristics that I, that I look for, um, when I'm hiring somebody for that position. So you guys definitely turned around after that really tough season 
and you've had a, a really good recent run of a lot of success, making three NCAA tournaments the last five years and back-to-back NCAAs uh, in 2016 after almost a 20-year absence. Just what kind of went into kind of getting that the, that proverbial monkey off your bat of getting back to that NCAA tournament, and just how did that feel as a coach? Maybe the most overused word in athletics right now is culture. Everybody yep. talks culture, 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 and um, a lot of it is, yeah, unfounded. It's just that's just the word. Uh, but we really, really started working on our culture and uh, with leadership, you know, councils, and um, you know, trying to have our players articulate what experience they wanted, and we focused very much on the culture and the process of building the culture. And once we built the culture, um, you know, there were, there were some values that were, you know, these values are cast in stone they're non-negotiables. And once we established that, um, the players, I think had a great roadmap to follow about how we were going to get there. And, uh, we probably spent, an hour, two hours a week, just on culture, culture documents, you know, and and we've established a great culture. And um, my team last year had the best culture of any team I've ever been around. But you know, I can go back; our team three years ago had a super culture. Mm-hmm. Four years ago, five years ago, the culture to me is what has made it work. And I think when you get the right culture, um, you get the buy-in from your players. And as you recruit, you get players that want a similar culture. Yeah. And uh, so it, it's about laying that foundation. And um, while I knew it at stages in my career, I probably didn't commit to it like I needed to. And uh, we committed to it. Um, and we had some good players in the program. We got more good players. And it's kind of taken off. We have a great, great cell. Like Susquehanna is a great cell. Uh, we have beautiful campus. Um, we have quality uh, academics. Um, we have a big time school of business, and I think when you recruit males, I think business is a very popular major. Um, our business school has AACSB accreditation. We're one of ten schools in the world that has it in the liberal arts environment and strictly undergraduate. So mm-hmm. we have a unique, unique business school to sell. Um, great campus, and you know. Uh, basketball program that competes on a national level you know we we won 24 games one year 23 games the next year those two years we you know our strength of schedule and our winning percentage was high enough that we were able to host ncaa games so we hosted you know uh, two ncaa games in 2016 two in 2017 which you know that that changes your programs right there it's just yeah you you know you're kind of become more visible um you know the community support uh you know, really snowballs. And, uh, and then, you know, last year I thought we may have been a year ahead of schedule, but, you know, won the landmark conference championship, you know, got to the NCAAs, um, had a good win over Benedictine and ended up losing a tough game at Wittenberg. Mm -hmm. But, um, it was, uh, you know, it's, it's, we, we got it going in the right direction right now. Um, and, uh, you know, it's, it's just getting, the buy-in from the players, having the right culture, and being able to recruit to that culture. I'd say there are a couple things that have really helped us. Yeah, so before getting to that 2017-3-16 run, I agree with you that like, the culture is extremely overused, partially just because 
uh, people don't really define it because culture can mean so many different things in so many different fields, companies. It, it can take on so many different definitions. People don't define it. So, so when you're asked to, or if I'm asking you to describe or define really what is the what is the Susquehanna men's basketball culture? Just what are some of the things that that make up that culture that uh, that you guys have at yep. your program? I'll, yeah, I'll, I'll hit you with about four factors that I think are you know absolutes: um, trust, um, being unselfish. Uh, you know, when we talk about being unselfish, it's always we before me. Um, being a great teammate. Um, being committed academically as well as athletically. Um, and I'll talk on that. Uh, the NABC um, has an honor roll, an honor court, where they honor teams that have had, you know, a GPA of 3.2 or above. Um, our team has won that, five, been honored five straight years. Wow. And, I, I, and again, are, are there other programs in the country that have done that? There are, but I don't think there's very many. So we have consistency uh in the classroom consistency on the court consistency around campus and uh you know i think that our program has become a leader on our campus of doing things the right way and we had a guy um would have been 2017 honored um by the all state good works team i'm not sure if you're familiar with that or not but um i think they chose five student athletes from division two and division three and nai um that uh excelled in community service um we became Stephen Weidlich win that well Stephen Weidlich was also an all-american basketball player and they got honored at the final four it was in phoenix that year steve and his mother and brother were you know treated like royalty for about five <laughs> days and uh, but you know steve was kind of the epitome you know if there's a poster boy right now of susquehanna basketball it would be a kid named Stephen Weidlich mm-hmm. uh, who's from Watchung hills in in new jersey and uh you know just did everything right and uh, um, so, you know, I think likes recruit likes, uh, winning breeds winning, success breeds success. So I think all those things go into the culture. But we were not going to sacrifice, you know, we weren't going to sacrifice the process for the end result. Um, we were willing to make hard decisions. Um, if, you know, if our best player uh, was going to be a jerk, um, he was going to be a jerk elsewhere. Mm-hmm. And I think that when your players see that you mean business and this is how we're going to do it. Um, and, you know, like we, tr- I try to let them establish their standards. Um, and I, I ask them to establish their values because it's, you know, if, if they establish them, um, they're going to be more bought in. And uh, so I think that's a big part of our culture also is the players buy in, but their buy in is because they have, created the standards this is what we're going to do this is how we're going to behave this is how we're going to handle things and as soon as you know like so if enthusiasm is one of our values and we're in practice one day and there's no enthusiasm i'm like guys let's stop didn't you tell me back on september 15th that enthusiasm was critical to a championship culture well where's the enthusiasm today and you know so you would you know you'd use examples like that to try to uh uh drive home the, the values and the standards created by, by your players. And right. you know, we as coaches had a lot to do with it, but you know, we kind of coached them through it, but, but they were their, they were their beliefs. And, uh, you know, our job is to make sure that they uh, abide by their beliefs. Right. So, and it turned out, as you mentioned that the culture helped turn around the program, you guys 
hosted NCAA tournaments and you made it run all the way to the Sweet 16 in 2017. Just what is it like? You know, I got to experience that as a player hosting uh, NCAA tournament games at Wesleyan in 2017, 2018. Just what is it like as a coach to find out that you're the one hosting uh, that pod that weekend and just seeing just just coaching in front of a packed gym like that? Just just what is it like? Just what is it like for you as a coach? I mean, it's kind of what you live for. Like, mm-hmm. you know, like, you know, like probably my greatest feeling is, you know, walking up the steps to the court, looking out, you know, music blaring, um, you know, place packed. You know, we sold out the gym both times we, we hosted. And, you know, the level of excitement and enthusiasm on campus was, you know, as good as I've ever seen it. Um, so, it, you know, you know uh, there's an old saying, you know, make the big time where you're at. And the big time was O.W. Hutz Gymnasium when we were hosting those games, just like uh, for you, Dave, when you were at Wesley. I mean, mm-hmm. it's just um, you get a lot of support you know, from the students, from the community, uh, former players. Uh, so it was uh, it, it was really special. Um, and to be able to do it back to back years was uh, you know, even more special. So the second year, second year, we won both games and yeah. moved on to the Sweet 16. So for that sure. was uh, awesome. So this past year, you guys make it back to the NCAA tournament. As you mentioned, you guys get sent to the pod held at Wittenberg in in Ohio. But right around that first week of March when you guys were getting ready to go out to Ohio, the world started having other plans. And we just started to hear about and really see the potential damage that the coronavirus could do here in the U.S. Just one was the first time that you heard the word coronavirus and that week as you were guys getting ready to go to Wittenberg was there any talk amongst the team or the administration about the virus and just maybe any potential precautions you guys would be taking that that weekend well here's what happened to us um selection show was Monday we find out uh you know we're going to Wittenberg playing Benedictine and you know with synergy you start doing your preparation you know Mm -hmm. the shows you start your preparation at uh at one um, so we're beginning our preparation. Uh, we meet with the team Monday afternoon. We don't go on the floor, um, you know, trying to let them, let them heal and get our bodies right for the, for the run. And, um, so Tuesday we start, we're ready to start practicing. My assistant coach is a guy named JJ Butler, uh, who has since uh, been hired as a head coach at Chestnut Hill, uh, division two school in Philadelphia. But JJ was, was fabulous. And, uh, he wasn't his normal self that day. And I'm like, are you all right? He's like, coach, I feel awful. I'm like, really? He's like, yeah. he's like, I've been throwing up. I got stomach flu and temperature and, you know, fever and chills. And I'm like, well, do me a favor. Just like stay away from the team. Mm-hmm. And, uh, later that day, one player comes in with a, with a fever. Oh, no. And I said, okay, you go home. Another player comes in with a fever. You go home. Now, COVID's not, you know, like, it's kind of just starting to rear its ugly head. And at no time did I think, okay, we got COVID virus. Uh-huh. Um, that night, I go home. And I, in 32 years, have missed one game. Or 31 years. I don't know how many years I've been coached. I have 31 years, I've missed one game. I go home that night and I am sick as sick can be. That's Tuesday night. And my phone's blowing up. It's this player. He's sick. That player. He's sick. Well, we, on Wednesday, 
I think we had eight players and myself that couldn't be at practice. And our plan was to travel Wednesday night. So we're supposed to leave Wednesday night to drive outside of Pittsburgh and then you know, take the other half of the trip the next day. And uh, we have to cancel our departure because I know I can't get on a bus and uh-huh. neither neither can eight of my players. Oh, my God. So this is Wednesday. So it's like, okay, we're going to try to depart first thing Thursday morning because the trip to Springfield, Ohio, I think was like eight or nine hours. And it's like, okay, let's plan to leave at 730. Well, I get up that morning and I said to my wife, I don't think I can do this. I don't think I can get on the bus. And uh, she, she said, well, you got to. So I find a way you know, to get to Susquehanna and I know I'm as gray as gray can be. And uh, so my assistants did such a spectacular job. I mean, we had more hand sanitizer. We had face masks. We had everything that you needed for the coronavirus before anybody was telling you what to do. We, oh had, my we God. had the bus had the bus partitioned off that those who were healthy sat in the back. Those who were sick sat up front. We social distanced. So we had the whole, whole protocol down for the coronavirus before it was really anything. And, you know, and that word started to spread around campus. We have a fever. we got to make sure everybody gets to the health center because there's starting to be some understanding of what this is all about, but at a very low level. Well, we get to Ohio, and now you start hearing that Yeshiva had a case and that they were going to play at Hopkins in front of no fans and all of this. And you know, so we don't know what we had. We don't know if we had a stomach flu or a coronavirus or what. But um, so that was our week in preparation. So the, so we got there on Thursday. We practiced Thursday. It was really the only practice that we were able to really get in that week because Tuesday we had people not feeling well. Wednesday, half the team wasn't there. And so we got there Thursday. You know, when you get to the NCAAs, as you know, you know, you might have a 90-minute workout. And so we, we worked out for 90 minutes that day, um, did as much game planning as prep as we could uh, for Benedictine, had a shoot-around the next day. And then we went, but that was kind of our introduction to the coronavirus is, you know, like, and then when we were returning from, um, Wittenberg, uh, obviously, you know, they played the games at Hopkins in front of no fans. And I have an assistant coach who's also a high school athletic director that's uh, in charge of transportation. And he's now getting all these bulletins from the state about number of cases, blah, blah, blah. So that was where we first, were exposed to it, and we played on the last possible day mm. that college basketball was played. Was yeah. that Saturday, and then you know everything shut down. So the, the round of sixteen was never played. Uh, um, you know, at the Division three level. Right. Wow that that's a that's an eventful weekend. And as you said, you know, you do this long enough, you you see everything. Who who knows what it was, but as you're preparing for the NCAA tournament, not having half the team at practice and not even the head coach at practice is Definitely not something you would you would game plan for exactly. No, no we, had, we had guys that couldn't make the trip. To be quite honest with you, we had wow. uh, we had people couldn't make the trip. People, one guy made the trip. Guy that played very well for us in, in our game, uh, landmark conference championship game against Scranton, named Quincy Houghton. He was ill through the weekend, never played. So it was uh, that that was really eventful. And but uh, you know we have a really a tough, persistent group, and. Um, here, this this was interesting. Most of the guys that got sick were our subs. Very few of our starters or you know top reserves got sick, so it was really odd. And I kept thinking, okay, you know, on Tuesday and Wednesday, all our reserves are sick. Probably by Thursday, 
all our starters will be sick. You know, by Friday, who knows? But it never really got our starting group, which was uh, which was kind of hard to explain. Yeah, one hundred percent. So backtracking a little, just you know, on the more macro level, you I've I've had the opportunity to interview a lot of coaches since the beginning of uh, spring break for me, where kind of the whole lockdown started, and I've had a chance to interview a few coaches who played for their dads growing up, whether in high school or in college, you on the other hand had the opportunity to coach both of your kids at Susquehanna. What is it like coaching your kids in college and how difficult is it to balance being coach and being dad for your two sons? Very difficult. Um, Very, very much a challenge. Um, my older son, Frank, came to Susquehanna, uh, was a really good high school player, great shooter, um, and then had some elbow problems, had to have two different elbow surgeries, was supposed to have a third elbow surgery. And when you're a shooter and you have elbow problems, um, it cuts down on the volume of shots you can take. So therefore, it cuts down on your ability to be a great shooter. So Frank dealt with some elbow problems through his college career, but nonetheless played all four years. Um and probably didn't play as much as um, any of us would have liked. Um, and I, I probably, if, you know, again, to be as honest as I could, I probably erred on the side of maybe being too hard on my sons, um, maybe held them to a higher standard um, than some other players I coached. And I'd have if people I knew that were not affiliated with Susquehanna, but uh, people that had watched our team play. And, you know, in, in a nice way, they'd say to me, Frank, I think maybe you're, being too hard on your sons. And mm. uh, I think sometimes you really want to make sure that you're not favoring them um, unjustly, and therefore you might treat them incorrectly. So uh, if I had to say that, I, I may have may have erred in that manner. Um, my younger son, Scott, came along two years later and also came to Susquehanna. And you know, they were both great teammates, both great guys to have in the program. Um, but, you know, um, and again, I think I... I think I evaluated them correctly, and I think they got it. I don't think they were always happy with me. Um, my wife got it. The person that didn't get it was my mother. And my mother <laughs> would give me know all the time, like, why aren't you playing Frank and Scott more? They're good players. And I'm like, Mom, just trust me. I know what I'm doing. But it was kind of funny. Like, yeah, I think that when you're in the arena, you know, like you as a player, you know if you're good enough or you know if you're better than somebody. And I think Frank and Scott kind of got where they were. Um, and my wife was very supportive of me in everything I've done, but my mother couldn't take it. And she would come to the games and she would be mad at me. Um, so, I, you know, it's funny as you deal with other people and their children. Um, you know, the love between parents and grandparents and their children um, certainly supersedes, you know, any talk of chemistry and being unselfish and all those things. That That's what, what is such a challenge. But um, it, it was hard, but uh, uh, I wouldn't trade it for anything right now. Um, you know, they both graduate degrees in finance and they're doing great. And, uh, you know, both they might be the two biggest lovers of Susquehanna basketball, um, outside of myself right now. So they're, they're loyal, um, to the program to, you know, as loyal as the day is long. And, and they're also good friends with our buddy, Dave Brown. That's awesome. So one, one last question here, coach, before we get to some of the fun ones, you mentioned just, just with your own son, when as shooters, you know, if you want to become a better shooter, you could shoot as, you know, if you keep shooting and shooting and shooting and practice shooting, you'll become a better shooter. Same way for dribbling and everything. As players, it's very, 
kind of cut and dry over if you want to get better, how, how you go out and do it. As a coach, kind of how do you approach the off seasons when you, to, to try to get better as a coach? Because it's not like with the NCAA rules, you can go out and coach, you know, a hundred games in the summer uh, at different uh, AAU events or anything. So how do you approach the off seasons to try to get better as a coach? Well, I think there's a lot of ways. Um, I think just trying to do some professional development uh, of visiting other schools, uh, you know, watching other coaches coach, watching other coaches work out with their teams. Um, I run a lot of camps in the summer. Uh, we'll run three team camps at Susquehanna. I learn a great deal watching very good high school coaches. Uh, so when they bring their teams to camp, uh, that kind of fills my void. You know, we have probably about 100 teams that come to team camp at Susquehanna in the summer. And so I'm around the game. I'm watching coaches. I'm watching them practice with their teams. Um, I pick their brains when I see stuff I like. Um, but, you know, I try to go to, you know, like we're, we're very close to Bucknell. And, uh, you know, they've had some great coaches at Bucknell. I, you know, so I've developed good friendships with them. Go up and watch them work out. And, um, you know, some some of my former players are very successful coaches. We'll do some roundtables, uh, go to some coaches' roundtables and um, try to learn from them. And, um, you know, with video, with Synergy right now, there's so much. You know, if you see a team that you like, um, you can pick up, you know, can just watch clips of them play, and, you know, pick up different bits and pieces from what they do. Um, we have become a pressing team. So I've tried to, you know, watch teams that press, how they press, what they're doing and just see if there's anything we can steal from them. So I, I, you know, like the thing that the, uh, leads me that, that I, the reason I know I still belong in coaching is because I still have the desire to learn. And, you know, like I don't think you ever stop learning. If you do, if you think you know it all, you know, you're, you're fooling yourself. So, um, I think professional development, you know, the, the final four is a great time for me to, you know, get to see a lot of other coaches, talk hoops there, uh, you know, go to, uh, different clinics the nabc has done a great job in the month of april um june and july they've had you know so many virtual clinics uh that you, you know literally when, when, when the pandemic was in full force um i'd probably watch two or three uh clinics a day uh, wow. put on by the put on by the nabc um so you know it, it kind of kept your kept your thirst uh for for learning um so, you know, that's a little bit about, about what I've done. I, I, I read a lot um, and, uh, you know, try to pick not only the brains of, of basketball coaches, but try to pick the brains of other coaches on our staff at Susquehanna because we have some great coaches at Susquehanna, and um, I'm the senior member, but uh, uh, there's so much that I can learn from younger coaches because, mm-hmm. uh, you know, it's a little bit of a different generation, needless to say. And, uh, you know, you want to try to stay in tune to the needs of, you know, of today's um, you know, 18 to 22 year olds. 100%. So coach, I appreciate all the time. We have five rapid fire questions, uh, before we end the podcast. Fire away, David. Favorite drill. Favorite drill. Three on two chaser. Okay. Do you have any pregame superstitions? None. Okay. Who is the best player you've ever coached against? Andy Panko. Okay. Where did he play? He played at Lebanon Valley. Then he played uh, in Europe, and he was the MVP of the top league in the world other than the NBA. 
He, okay. he was a kid. He was a kid we tried to recruit out of Bishop McDevitt High School in Harrisburg, and he was like six three or six four, and he grew to be six nine. Wow! And he was Division three player of the year back to back years. Wow! You have a, what's your biggest pet peeve as a coach? My biggest pet peeve as a coach: players that think they know more than a coach. Okay. If you could change one rule about basketball, what would you change? I like the Elam ending right now. I think that that has a lot of merit, and I, I kind of like that. Interesting, interesting. That's the first Elam ending we've gotten so far. I like the Elam ending, too. It's, it's, a, it's, a, fun, it's a fun way to, to end games. It makes it a little more exciting. Yeah, you keep playing. You know, it's supposed yeah. to follow in, and you know, I, I think it's kind of the way basketball is supposed to be. Interesting. Well, Coach, I really appreciate all the time. As always on the Double Double, we give the last word to our coaches. So do you have anything you want to say or shout out to the great people of Sellens Grove, Pennsylvania? Yeah, I've had a great, great experience in Sellens Grove at Susquehanna. Uh, I've worked for great presidents, great athletic directors, and great uh, other coaches and, and, and administrators. And I'm, I count my blessings every day and hope I can do this for uh, a number of years still to come. Coach, appreciate all the time. Best of luck going forward this 2020 fall semester. Thank you for your time, Dave. I really appreciate you thinking of me. For sure. That'll do it for this episode of The Double Double. If you like this podcast, you can find us on Apple, Spotify, or wherever your podcast. And you can subscribe, rate, and review. Five stars would be much, much appreciated. You can also follow us on Twitter at DBL underscore DBL podcast. We'll be back next week. Until then, take care and make it a great day.